You're listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Bessie Award-winning dancer and choreographer Sean Curran. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. I'm really confident as a contemporary dance teacher, I can teach people how to dance with technique. I can teach them to be virtuosic and what's that, but taking difficult things to do and making them look easy, right? I love teaching composition. It makes me a better choreographer because I learn from my comp students mm -hmm. and I teach first year comps. So we get a lot of 17 year olds who've never made a dance before. And when I tell them that no steps in this class that have a French name, they laugh, but then they understand how difficult it is mm -hmm. to have authenticity, to find your voice, to play and be inventive. So I find it very stressful. I'm turning into Ebenezer Scrooge, I joke, because <laughs> You know, I'm 56 and the college age students now come, there's a different kind of entitlement. They are, you know, the call, from the call me out culture mm -hmm. where they'll call you out. I feel invisible. Um, you're ignoring this group of people. I spring into action, but I find that after the complaint is made, there's no follow up. Mm -hmm. You know, I lived through the AIDS crisis. I went to ACT UP meetings. I was in the streets. And I don't want to come down on the younger generation, but there's also this thing called the armchair warrior. You know, you hit send on your phone after you've bitched or moaned or complained and you feel a little better. Mm -hmm. How are you following that up? Artists are changers, right? Mm -hmm. Is our, We have many jobs in a society, hold a mirror up, ask difficult questions, but an artist's job is to change how you think about something or mm -hmm. how you see something. This idea of transformation. When you come to the theater, you want to leave a little different. So I'm, I'm finding that challenging, that there's a neediness in the students that I think we didn't have. And um, there's a lack of grit mm -hmm. and determination. For you, knowing that, what is the best advice that you give your students that you want well, them to take away from this program here? You know, as you came in, I was writing an email uh, to the Dean of Students uh, responding to a complaint a student made this morning. And I was tough on the student and I was basically saying, toughen up. Mm -hmm. And I was basically saying, I'm your dance teacher. I'm not your therapist. <laughs> you true. need to, there's places like the wellness center, you know, you need to, to utilize, the utilize resources. That. And if you're worried about somebody, drag them there. Mm -hmm. I'm springing into action. I'm going to help, you know, I firmly believe if you want a result, you take an action. Mm -hmm. I am solution-based, I'm a self-starter, I, I fix problems, but um, I also believe in kind of a metaphysical way, we're 100% responsible for everything mm -hmm. in our lives. Now, do I believe we choose our parents and we're incarnated? Uh, that's a stretch <laughs> for me. But I do feel that we are uh, infinite choice makers. You make millions of choices. Mm -hmm all the time, make the right choice. Mm -hmm. And if you make the wrong choice, understand that mistakes are great teachers, learn from that and move, move on. on. So the short answer to your question is, I find I have to be tougher and tougher and tougher. And I'm an old softy, mm -hmm. you know. I'm starting to really believe in this Darwinian notion of dance wherein only the strong survive. And 
I love all my students. I'm going to be a great encourager. I'm going to try to push everyone. But I understand more and more it's the students who are hungriest, mm -hmm. who are the hardest workers, who are the most responsible, who, who are the most curious. They are the ones who are going to go on and have careers. It's the sink or swim. Exactly. Survival of the fittest. I used to say I was happy is when I was moving or dancing to interesting or beautiful music. You know, this idea of when is your life in flow? Is it being a mother? Is it cooking a meal? Is it painting a painting? Is it reading a book? Is it going to a museum? For me, it was about dancing. And now it's about making dances, giving my dancers dances to dance, but also as a teacher, because I do have this sense of responsibility of passing something on. I love dance history, that really informs my process. You know, speaking an old language in a new way with a contemporary accent. Sounds like I'm writing a grant, but that's something I try to do. And the students teach me every day. So for you, which role did you feel like pushed you the most outside of your comfort zone during your career? Well, you know, my immediate response is the first opera I choreographed and the first opera I directed. I had been into operas that Bilty Jones had, had choreographed. I'd never seen an opera, opera, I'd never sat in the audience. And all of a sudden I'm in this huge production, it was called L'Etoile, it's a Chabrier opera. Mark Lemos, brilliant, you know, award-winning director. And I listened to that CD a hundred times. I don't read music. I looked at every production of L'Etoile I could find on DVD, on the internet, and I went in completely prepared and I had a plan B and then I had a plan C. And it went great. Everyone loved the work. I didn't have to use the plan B, you know? <laughs> and I thought, okay, maybe I can do this. Years later, when the artistic director of Opera Theatre of St. Louis called me up to say, you know that production of Salome you were gonna choreograph? We actually would like you to direct it. I said, great, I'd love to. And I hung up the phone and I just about, yeah, passed out. Like, I'm not an opera director. So it's a cliche, but this idea of fake it till you make it, do your homework, be prepared. I've directed many productions since. I'm gonna be directing La Cenarentola, which is basically the story of Cinderella for Opera Theatre of St. Louis in a couple of years. This summer I go back to St. Louis, choreograph three operas. So yeah, the opera world challenged me. I think in terms of dancing, there was a piece called D-Man, well, there's still a piece called D-Man in the Waters that Bill T. Jones made that I loved dancing. And when I left the Jones Ang Company, I thought, how will I live my life without doing this dance anymore? I will miss doing this dance. Mm -hmm. I even thought like, if and when I'm lucky enough to meet a partner, how will he really know me if he hasn't seen this <laughs> dance, right? So that's how important that dance was. And you know, all the dances I did in the Bill T. Jones on his Ang Dance Company. Um, so leaving the company was difficult because I think I really thought I'm gonna be here for my life. Mm -hmm. My dad, Irish immigrant, worked for the same company for 30 something years. I thought that's what you did. So I knew there'd become a time when I wouldn't dance anymore, but I thought I would stay with the company and assist or rehearsal direct or whatever. But I had to leave to, for my own voice mm -hmm. to come out. So what was the funniest thing that happened to oh, you God. during a live performance? I read I this love... and I thought of two things. I'm gonna tell you one, in Stomp, the end of the show there's a section where I think two of us run out from upstage right and left and we have both have trash can lids on our hands and you hit the deck and you slide 
on the floor. Mm-hmm. And the Stomp Theater in New York is called the Orpheum. It's a small theater. It's oh, about yeah, 300 seats. Yeah. yeah. And there's what you would call a tow rail at the edge of the stage, like a lip. And I <laughs> careened into that, and it broke off, and I ended up in the front row in the lap <laughs> of some poor lady. <laughs> Not my whole body, but like, I immediately thought, oh my God, she's hurt. Luckily she wasn't hurt. She was as shocked she's as framed. I was. And I kind of <laughs> crawled back up on stage and I was like, are you okay? And she was like, okay. So that was a crazy night in the theater. So if you weren't a dancer, choreographer, director, uh, I mean, so many things, yeah. what would you be doing instead? Well, I love black and white photography. I love antique photographs. I have a collection of those. Sounds strange, but I have a collection of antique mannequin heads. Very interesting. I made a solo with 20 child mannequins in the space. Like, I love paintings of people, pictures of people, sculptures of people. And even as a little kid, I was drawn to mannequins in stores. But I'm also interested in, uh, like, fashion, clothing, like, Mm -hmm. how we present ourselves. I'm such a performer that I, it's hard. I've been asked this question many times. It's hard for me to imagine. This is kind of an odd thing, but I, I'm not going to have the opportunity to be a parent. Mm-hmm. So I always think, like, what would it have been like to have been a parent? I'm not their parents, but I do have 130 young yeah, dancers you feel, here. Yeah, I'm more, like... of, more of a gunkle, like a big gay <laughs> uncle, big gay dance uncle. But I th- like design or something. Yeah, something with imagination. Yeah. I always wish I was a better writer. I have no confidence in my writing skill. To be a poet, wouldn't that be interesting? Write music, a composer. The humanities show us how we were, why we were, what we were. When you look back and you read like what it was being a woman in the 14th century or what it was like to be an explorer in the North Pole, I don't know, those documents are testaments of time and they teach us something. But then I also think about the future. What are we doing now? What seeds are we planting to inform the future? So, you know, I've talked a little bit about the job the arts do for us, ask questions, hold a mirror up. But I think the history is so important. That's why people flock to the Da Vinci exhibit Mm -hmm. at the Met, or now the David Bowie exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum. That's what they wore. That's how the, the world of ideas worked then, you know. Um, it's not Da Vinci, it's Michelangelo. Am I right? I believe so. I think it's Michelangelo. <laughs> yeah. So incredibly important. I, I wrestle with this uh, thing in our country, like how uh, professional sports has become this kind of phenomenon. And I think the arts and humanities get short shrifted mm-hmm. for this competitive, sometimes violent, you know, if it's football. I don't get that, but that's just who I am. There's a place for that too, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. And I said it earlier, but making sense out of a chaotic universe where bad things happen to good people, arts will help you figure that out. Read a Maya Angelou book. That will give you some insight into someone's experience. There's a book called The Velvet Rage, Growing Up Straight in a Gay Man's World that I read a few years ago. Incredibly important. It was written in the 80s. It still spoke to me, Mm -hmm. you know. So read a Shakespeare sonnet and give it to someone you love. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.